Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Glad to see you here today. Um, each one of you, friends, family, foes, just kidding. Uh, glad if you're here. If you're a guest today, I want to welcome you and uh, just ask you if you wouldn't mind filling out a card that we put in your worship program. We call it a connection card. Uh, and we take it out to the first time guest kiosk after the service. I'd love to meet you out there. And uh, we have a gift for you. You'd be like, oh, I already got the gift. No, we got another gift for you. Can you believe that? I'm gonna, and we're going to make a donation to a ministry. On behalf of you turning that card in, so if you'd do that for us, just even right now, that'd be great. Just fill it out, and then on your way out today, if you'd take that out there, that'd be wonderful. And I don't want to miss this opportunity either before we jump into the message, just to make sure. Well, some of you saw the video before the service, have seen it online, but we're having a Christmas Eve service, and that's in two days. Can you believe that? Tuesday is Christmas Eve, and I want to invite everybody who's here today to come to that. You can invite your friends and family too. There's lots of seats at the place we're going to have it. It's not here, by the way. Don't show up here on Tuesday looking for the Christmas Eve service. They will not know what to do with you if you come at the time, and they'll probably try and sell you something. So don't, uh, don't come here. It's at the Worship Center, which is just about, I think it's about five miles away from here. And if you look in your worship program, there's an address, information about that. We're going to be starting activities at 3 o'clock. There's going to be some family stuff, decorating ornaments with kids and having some hot chocolate. And if you want to come in and get a picture, whether you dress up all by yourself, you dress up and your family dresses up, whoever, we're going to do some free family photos and do some of those types of things. And the service starts at 5 o'clock. You can ride a horse and carriage too if you'd like to do that. But at 5 o'clock, Kids Choir is going to kick off the service. You want to get, get in the auditorium a little bit before that. Make sure you have a seat and uh, you can see whoever little ones you want to see or be where you want to be um, for all of those things. And so 5 o'clock at the Worship Center. We'd love to have you there. Everybody's invited. And today we're going to continue in the series we've been doing called uh, Compassionate Christmas. And so I'm going to pray for us. We're going to open up the scriptures together. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 in just a moment if you want to go ahead and get a head start and get there. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for... All the things that will happen in these next several days, whether it's a Christmas Eve service or uh, gathering together with folks that we don't see all the time or whatever it is, but more than anything, thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to this earth. Thank you for caring for us, uh, for doing something, for coming up with a plan that we would never dream up, that you would put on flesh, that you would come to this earth and that you would die, that God would die. I would never think of that. And Father, you are amazing that you are so far beyond us and you care so far beyond what we would even think to ask you to care for us and that you love us enough to send your son and to send a son who can relate with us, who knows what it is to get tired, who knows what it is to uh, feel pain, who knows what it is to be tempted in every way like we're tempted, uh, but to never sinned. And because of that, I was able to take our sin. Thank you for taking our sin. I pray if there are any that don't know your son, Jesus, they would come to know you today. Pray for believers. Uh, that are not walking in your spirit, they walk in your spirit as they leave here today. I pray for all of us that we get a glimpse of your glory and never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, tis the season for a lot of different things to happen. And in the next several days, many of you will be doing gift exchanges. And I want you to just think with me for a moment. What's the best gift you've ever been given? What's the worst gift you've ever been given? A couple people are like, oh man, you made me think of that. Remember your worst gift? Think about the different gifts that I've been given. I think one of the best gifts I ever received, I actually got after taking a present back and getting what I wanted, uh, was a Nintendo. I, do you remember Nintendo, some of you? I'm talking old school Nintendo. This will date me a little bit. This is before the people on the screen look like real people. And some of you that are younger are going to be like, and you liked playing that. How weird. I had a controller. It had two options on it, A and B. It was interesting. I was still entertained. We played Mario Brothers. Ding, 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 ding. And the two-dimensional guy bump his head on the bricks. Ding, ding, ding. You know, you get 
bounce turtles around and score points. And somehow that was fun when I was a little kid. And they had Duck Hunt as the bonus game. I don't know if you remember that or not. Take a gun out. I'd hold it about an inch from the screen. We're not talking Duck Dynasty. This is well before controversies, okay? Duck, duck Hunt. I was putting this on the screen, blowing birds away from two inches away. That was my, one of my favorite presents as a kid. What's your worst present? Think about one of my worst presents when I was a child was a, a shower wrap that I was given. Think bathrobe with a lot less material. It's this thing that you put on that you just wrap around your midsection. The interesting thing is I was 10 and my aunt gave it to me, which is creepy. <laughs> and so I looked at my mom when I received it and I said, what, what is this? I don't even know what this is. And she said, just say thanks and smile. Like that's parenting at that moment, right? She said, just say thanks and smile. You get all kinds of presents. I don't know what your best present is, what your worst present is. This past week I did a, a gift exchange with our community group, um, our e-group. And we were doing white elephant gift exchange. And I pulled out what I thought, you know, when you have a white elephant gift exchange, if you've ever done one of those, if you get a present that's like a real present, it's like, wow, this is amazing. I pulled out coupon books. I thought they were awesome. Then I realized they expire at the end of 2013. <laughs> there are thousands of coupons in here. And I'm making an offer to you today. If you meet me at the first time guest kiosk, you can have any coupon you want from this book. We've got stuff in here from Georgina's, Marco's Pizza, Play Trade, video games. We've got barbershops. We've got all kinds of stuff right out there. And there were people out there after the first service. So you don't have to feel any shame in your game. You show up, and I've got coupons for you. There's all kinds of gifts out there, aren't there? All kinds of different places you can get them from. A couple of years ago, I was making fun of the idea of buying something from Sky Mall Magazine. I don't know if you've ever seen this magazine or not. It's in the back of uh, seats when you're flying on a plane. I thought this magazine was actually made up to humor people when they're taxiing on the runway. But this is a real magazine. And I joked about it. That year, I made fun of the fact that you could dress up your car like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Some of you are probably slightly offended at this moment. That's fine. There's a lot of people out there doing this now. I joked about it, and that year afterwards, the next week, I came in and I preached again, and I, I left. When I left that day, some funny guys from our church decided to dress up my car like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, <laughs> and they put real deer antlers on my car. It was the homemade version. These guys were hunters, and I went out there. Now, I've got a confession to those guys specifically. About a month ago, I'm sitting at home with Shanna, and I'm just dinking around on the internet. You ever dink around on the internet? You get like a YouTube trailer. You just start looking stuff up. There's all kinds of information out there. I start reading Sky Mall Magazine, and I'm not even on an airplane, okay? So if you're a psychologist, I would meet you out of the first time kiosk too. I got, I know I'm weird, okay? So just go out there. And I'm reading through this stuff, and there's all kinds of items in there. And I'm just looking at these items thinking, this is ridiculous, you know, what some of these are. One of them, I'll put up on the screen for you, a dinosaur trophy, in case you'd like to fool your friends into thinking you killed that thing. <laughs> out west, like you, they're out in Utah somewhere, right? They're, they're out there. Oh, and then another one was a, a kitty litter quitter, which is basically a toilet for cats. <laughs> if you own that, I would like to meet you at the first time guest kiosk. But I'm reading this stuff, and, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, there were a couple things in there I thought, that's kind of cool. Basically, the book's full of a bunch of stuff no one really needs. But I started to question myself. Like, I'm reading this, I'm not on an airplane, would I actually buy anything from here? And I wondered, am I really weird? Or maybe I have a lot of really weird friends. I just want to know if anyone else does this. I went on Facebook and I posted, does anyone I know actually purchase anything from Sky Mall Magazine? And there are multiple people, some from our church, if you'd like to find them, you can go to my Facebook page and find it, uh, who purchased things from this book. One of my friends said, I buy all my Christmas presents from this book. There's a lot of stuff out there, isn't there? We're going to exchange gifts over the next couple days. Plastic stuff. Fruitcakes will be re-gifted back and forth. Lots of clothes will be opened. Electronic stuff. Shiny stuff. 
Let me ask you this question. Not the best present you ever got. Not what, what's the worst present you ever got. What do you want? What do you want this Christmas? And I want to talk to you about something today that all of us want. Every human wants it. God designed us this way. It's an intangible thing. You won't find it on the shelf at Walmart. You, you won't find it on Amazon.com, at Sky Mall Magazine. There's no shelf in America that contains the gifts that I want to talk to you about. In fact, I want you to realize it's a gift. Because many people spend their lives pursuing it, coming up empty. What we're talking about today is joy. And joy is a gift. A lot of people will go after it in a lot of different ways, trying to obtain it, trying to get it, trying to earn it. If you have a different worldview, different philosophy of life, then it'll dictate what you do to try and obtain joy. If you're a hedonist, meaning that your pursuit is pleasure, that's the thing that you go after, is pleasurable experiences. And that can be through a meal, it can be through a vacation, it can be through a sexual encounter. There are all kinds of different hedonists that express it in different ways. Then what you do is you go after joy by having an enjoyable experience. But if you don't realize it's a gift that's given by God, then you end up empty. Materialist. Materialist is someone who gets joy out of purchasing things. You buy something, there's a high from buying something, and you think, well, then I've got to buy the next thing, and I buy the next thing. I think eventually if I buy the right thing, it'll, it'll be different than all the other things that I bought. Maybe it's bigger, maybe it's unique, maybe it's whatever the thing is, and you end up empty. There's a narcissist. Narcissist is a person who's self-focused, who thinks about self, and so I find fulfillment from within. And I'll just keep working on me, and I'll try and make myself better, and end up dying empty. And you miss it. This happens for believers, too. I don't want you to miss that joy is a gift, and it's a gift that's being offered to you today. And we're going to talk about it today from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 8, if you would join me there. Luke chapter 2. We're continuing this series we've been doing called Compassionate Christmas. And we've started off talking about God's compassion for us and sending His Son, Jesus Christ. And about our compassion towards others on our Compassion Sunday. Last week we talked about how, what it is that blocks us from experiencing compassion. We define compassion as this. Your pain in my heart. When you hurt, I hurt. When you're broken, I feel the break. And God had your pain and His heart. And he knew your greatest need. Your greatest need was not that you wouldn't be alone this Christmas. Your greatest need was not that you'd have a bill paid so the financial stress would be less. Your greatest pain was not even that you needed some sickness healed. You needed a savior to rescue you from your sin. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God wrapped in the flesh, to be born as a baby. And that's what's happened right before this passage is that there's a story that we oftentimes romanticize about the birth of Jesus, and we talk about it, and it's beautiful, and some snowflakes are falling in the background, and there's this scene, and the star, and wise men, and shepherds, and all this stuff. Let's not miss that this is a scandal. Highly controversial. This is before the sexual revolution. This is before any of the stuff that's happened in the 80s, the 90s, or recently. It'd be really controversial that a young woman who's not married, who's pledged to be married, not married, is pregnant. And then she says she's never been with a man. Sounds like a cover-up. If you saw it in the news, if I saw it on the news, if we read it in the paper, we wouldn't believe that story. But her husband believes it. Because of some supernatural stuff that took place in Luke chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 1. And then it gets real interesting in this story as a political dynamic comes in. So now they have to travel from their hometown in Nazareth about 100 miles away to Bethlehem. And they get there, and there's no room in the inn. And the baby's born out probably in a courtyard where a bunch of people can see. This baby's born, and they lay it into a place where you feed animals. And then there's the announcement. It's a study in contrast. Luke is contrasting some things here. Read with me. Luke chapter 2, and verse 8. 
So Jesus is born. There's no room in the inn. There's all this humility. And then, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, not the glory of the angel, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Here's why. I bring you good news of great joy. It's a gift of joy that will be for all people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly a company, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. The part we oftentimes leave off, the greeting cards. And so here, this first Christmas, the first Christmas gift, it's a baby, it's God wrapped in the flesh, it's Jesus. It's mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 10 as good news of great joy. The first Christmas gift is a gift of joy, and God is the source of that joy. If you're going to experience that joy, you have to understand this foundational truth that God is the source of real joy. God's the source. He's where it comes from. He created it. He's the one that creates the events, the activities, all those things. He's the source of real joy. And so an obvious question we have to ask ourselves is this, what's the source of my joy? What's the source of your joy? Where does joy come from for you? And there are different things that will happen over the next several days. It'll be fun experiences, family gathered together for some people, other people a good meal, different, you know, watching a movie, your sports team will play, like all kinds of different things will happen. What do you enjoy? Because that's a natural thing for you to ask. You're trying to find out what is the source of my joy? What do I enjoy? What is the thing that I find pleasure in and joy in? Well, here's the problem. Oftentimes, we think of the things that we enjoy, and what ends up happening inevitably as we live our lives is that we think that's the thing that's going to be the source of my joy. And so if I enjoy a good meal, we'll just take that as an example, then in order for me to have joy again, I think I have to have another good meal, whether it's the same meal or a better meal or some similar type meal, that I continually think that that's the thing that actually gives me joy is the meal. And what ends up happening is we worship the thing instead of the creator of the thing. We're turning to the creation rather than the creator, to the provision rather than to the provider. And we think that the source of joy is actually the experience, whether it's the meal, whether it's the vacation, whether it's the family being gathered together, whether it's the sports, whether it's the whatever the thing is, the success at work, the you fill in the blank with lots of stuff. But God's the source of joy. Now here's a problem for a lot of people. A lot of people will think to themselves, God's not, he's like against joy. In fact, I've had conversations with people in this church before, right out in this hallway, where they're talking about surrendering their life to God, but they say, but if I, if I surrender my life to God, what am I going to do for fun? Because all my friends, they go out on the weekend, and they do stuff that God wouldn't want them to do, and so do you, but they don't say that at that moment, because they're talking to the pastor. So we're standing out there, and, and they say, well, you know, I wouldn't be able to do, what, I wanna, who am I going to hang out with? What am I going to do? I mean, it's great when I'm here at church, but then what? Implied is this, God is boring. Like it's God, like God's against joy, like God's against fun. There's a catechism. It's a question and answer way to learn doctrine and uh, learn truths about God. Called the Westminster Confession. It asks this question: What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of human beings? Would be another way to say it. Why, why are we here? And the answer that's given in that catechism is this: The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He created joy. He wants you to enjoy Him. In fact, He's most glorified when you are enjoying Him. 
He's for joy. In fact, he's the source of all joy. Another way to say it is what the scripture says. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, what we oftentimes will tend to do, I know what I've done before with this verse, is you think things like this. I've got desires in my heart, things I want to happen. And so if I delight myself in God, he'll give me those things. So, for instance, maybe you, you want to get married. And so you think, if I, if I like God enough, then he'll give me a spouse. If I like God and you want to get a new car. If I like God enough, he'll give me the new car. If I like God enough, he'll do these things for me. Did you ever think that maybe if you delight yourself in the Lord, that he'll become your delight? That he's so good that if you go to him, that you'll want to come back, that you'll want more? That, that he, it's almost like he's addictive, like you need more of him. Because he's so enjoyable, because he's the source of joy, that if you'd go to delight yourself in the Lord, that he himself would become your delight and give you a joy that's an inexpressible, unspeakable joy like we sang about. A joy that supersedes all circumstances. That's what we're talking about today. A joy that transcends our circumstances. A joy that you can experience regardless of things are going well or things aren't going well. That's why when you see in Scripture so many times, you talk about joy, you see things like rejoice in your trials. In suffering, though rejoicing. Rejoice always. And you talk about joy in Scripture. It has nothing to do with the circumstances. It's an inner pleasure that's continually being experienced. That's real joy. Not just momentary satisfaction. Real, lasting joy. That's what's being announced in this passage of Scripture. Go back up to verse 8. There's these shepherds. They're not just hanging out in the field. They're living out in these fields. And then this angel shows up. And here Luke gives us a contrasting picture of probably the two most opposite people and created beings in all of Scripture. You've got angels, the most mysterious and majestic created beings in all Scripture. Then you've got shepherds, the most average Joes of all of Scripture. And you look at Scripture, they say some very positive things about shepherds. David was a shepherd. Remember David? He fights off a lion. He fights off a bear. It's, what he learned, it's how he learned how to fight a giant with a sling. He was doing those things as a shepherd boy. Moses, a great leader in our faith, was shepherding his father-in-law's flock when God spoke to him at a burning bush. Jesus himself calls himself the good shepherd. In fact, he says later that those are going to be spiritual leaders and congregations to shepherd the flock. And so shepherd's very positive when you look at the scriptures. But in this time, people actually viewed shepherds pretty, pretty lowly. I read one person this week that said there was only one class of people that was lower than shepherds. It was lepers. Isn't that interesting when you consider the news that's being brought here? See, some people think, especially this time of year, that stuff is only for certain kind of people. The Christmas story and church and Christmas Eve services and all that stuff. It's for church people. It's for moral people. It's for those kinds of people. It's not for me. Shepherds weren't allowed to go to church because of their job, because they were considered unclean because of the job that they did. And so when this is good news for all people, that means it's for you, and it's for me, it's for you, it's for all of us. It was for the shepherds. Try and imagine being a shepherd. Look at what they're doing. They're keeping watch at night in this field out in Bethlehem. I haven't been to this field. I don't know what this field is like. I'm going to imagine there wasn't a Walmart anywhere nearby. There weren't any street lights. Pretty rural, pretty dark. Probably the only lights there were were the stars in the sky. And uh, probably pretty quiet because the shepherds would take their shifts of keeping watch. What are they keeping watch for? Well, you saw in the Old Testament that David was watching for bears and for lions, and he actually fought them off and killed them. That's the kind of thing they're keeping watch for. Their flocks wouldn't be destroyed by lions and bears. Now, can you imagine being out at night in the darkness and just listening, keeping watch? It makes me think of the first time I went hunting. 
Um, when I was in college, I actually went hunting. I was dating a young lady who later became my wife. Her dad hunted. I wanted to score points with him. Now we're married. I don't hunt. So it works. <laughs> and I remember the first time we went, I was a college student. He took us out. We stayed in this RV, and then he woke us up at an ungodly hour. Have you ever heard that expression before? That means it's sinful to get up at this time. <laughs> ungodly hour for a college student when it's still dark outside. Now, I had stayed up until this time before, but I'd never woken up at this time before. And so he woke me up. He takes me out to the middle of the forest shows me a tree. I have no idea how he picked this tree, but he shines a light up and he says, there's a stand up there. I get up there. You don't stand in the stand though. You sit in the stand. Another thing that didn't make any sense to me, but he get up there, sends me up there and I'm sitting up there. I've got a bow and arrow and I'm supposed to kill something other than myself. (laughs) Not likely. And so I'm sitting there. It's totally dark. He leaves. He goes off to his tree and he's going to hide. I'm sitting up in this tree. Here's what I do remember. I could hear a twig break. Totally quiet. Totally dark. A squirrel could come through there. I, would, I knew of it. A squirrel sounded like a bear in that moment. And so the squirrel comes through there. I knew. I'm turning. I'm paying attention. Can you imagine being these shepherds out in this field? It's totally dark. You're, watch, you're keeping watch for danger. Everybody else is sleeping. It's totally dark. It's quiet. And wham! Like, boom! There it is. The glory, not of the angel. Look at the text. The glory of the Lord shone around them. We know when we read through scripture, the glory of the Lord is oftentimes identified as a bright light. You ever been sleeping before? Somebody hits the lights on? Ah, you know, what in the world? Let me tell you about this light. Revelation chapter 21 talks about it in the new heaven and the new, new earth. It says this in verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. So in heaven, there won't be a sun or moon. There'll be God. His light is brighter than the sun. And that's what shows up. And then you didn't hear anything but an angelic being begins to talk to you. Let me tell you, it says here they were terrified. Let me give you a paraphrase. They were freaked out. Okay, that's what I would have been in that moment. We don't know what this angel looks like. Like if you watch, you know, whatever family shows that are on, angels are always like glowing white light and they're beautiful creatures. This thing could have eyeballs on its wings. Like we don't know. Did it have wings? Did it have six wings? Did it have two wings? We don't know. We don't know which angel this is, but an angel of the Lord shows up. Anytime you see an angel of the Lord show up in Scripture, you see people get scared. These guys are freaked out. And the angel says this, I've got an announcement for you. This is a big deal. Now, let me point something out to you, another contrast in this passage. We make a big deal about how Jesus was born in very humble circumstances, and that's true. Wasn't born to a king or a queen. Wasn't born in some palace. Born to this peasant couple, this poor couple. And they travel and they have to go to this place. There's no room in the inn. They give birth and there's public, they're a public spectacle out there giving birth to this child. They don't have an opportunity to do anything else. They lay the baby in humble circumstances. That's all true. There couldn't be a greater contrast in the way the announcement is made, though. It couldn't be more magnificent. It couldn't be more outstanding. And I don't know if you know this or not, but it's kind of trendy right now that if you find out you're pregnant or when you have a baby, you make a creative announcement. If you don't think this is true, just get on Google, get on Facebook, whatever it is, and look up young couples that are announcing their babies. There'll be all these creative photography that's done. One plus one person equals three. Oh, there must be two people in one of those. You know, that's the idea there. Or there's a thing, and I'm not kidding about this. One of the trendy things to do is right now is to take spaghetti sauce, prego spaghetti sauce, and hold it up with a sign that says, we are, we are prego is the idea. I'm not kidding. Google it. Okay. I don't make this up. What's happening is people are trying to be creative. People are trying to make their announcement. You can't schedule Gabriel to show up to make your announcement for you. 
You can't, no one ever has anything on what happens in this passage of scripture. This angel shows up, the glory of the Lord shines around him. Not his own glory, the glory of God shines around him. And he says, I've got good news. Don't be afraid. Good news of great joy. The gift I'm giving is a gift of great joy. And it's for everybody. And that's why I'm telling you, shepherds. It's for everyone. What is this joy? Well, we see here that it's connected with good news. That word for good news, the Greek word for good news there, we oftentimes get it where we say preach the gospel. Or the noun version would just be gospel. And what is gospel? Well, it gets introduced to us in verse 11 of this passage. The next verse, we see three titles of Jesus. It's talking about the Savior being born. Today, the town of David, a Savior has been born. What does the Savior do? He rescues you. He saves you. You need to be saved from something, rescued from something. And he's been born to you. He is Christ. Christ is not a name. Christ is a title. We oftentimes talk about Christ like Jesus Christ, like it's his last name. It wasn't his last name. It was his title. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And what the Christ is, is the one who Isaiah says, Isaiah 61.1 says this, I've been anointed to preach good news to those who are poor. That's all of us. All of us poor in spirit would bring nothing before God. To release the captives, because we're held captive in a prison of sin. That's what we need to be rescued from, is our sin. And he is Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wants to be Lord of your life. That's the gospel. It's good news with a backdrop of incredibly bad news. Imagine it like this. Imagine tomorrow you're getting ready for work or for your day or whatever you're going to do tomorrow. And as you're getting ready, getting dressed or taking a shower, whatever you're doing, you find a lump. Wherever you find a lump somewhere. It concerns you enough that you decide to call the doctor. And so you call the doctor up. The doctor remembers you from a checkup you had earlier that year and says to you, I want you to come in today. And you probably respond and say, no, no, no I, I'm good. I mean, Christmas is coming. We can, I'm sure we can meet afterwards. And, and so you do what you have to do at your office. And he said, no, 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 I, I want to see you today. You're slightly alarmed by his concern. He says, I've had a cancellation, actually. Could you come in in about 15 minutes? And so you decide to go in. And you get in there and you do the checkup. And he seems very alarmed, upset. He says, here's what we're going to do today. This isn't what we normally do, but we're going to do a biopsy. And uh, we'll get, we're going to get the results back within the hour. And so he takes a biopsy and he leaves and... You're there for about 45 minutes, and he comes back in. When he comes back in, he says, I've got really bad news. This is all over your body. It's not just this one lump that you found. It's, it's in your lungs. It's, it's on your heart. It's in your brain. He says, but I have some good news, too. There's a cure. Only one, but there's a cure. And the cure is you have to take this disease, and you have to give it to someone else. And the really good news is I've got a guy out in the lobby who thinks he was born to take this from you. But he wants one thing from you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to get to know you. What do you say? What would you say? Of course, right? And of course you'd want to get to know the person who'd want to do this, right? But some people wouldn't. Some of you would say no. I have to deal with it. This is mine. I'm not going to give it to someone else. So that wouldn't be right. You know what that is? That's called pride. You see, the gospel is very similar. Here's the difference in the gospel and you having this disease. Oftentimes, to get a disease, you didn't do anything wrong. The reason why you have a problem, the disease you have is a sin disease. That oftentimes we walk around unaware the way that it's affecting us. It's the very thing that's robbing us from experiencing real joy, true joy. It's because we're separated from the creator, the source of joy. 
And that sin is our fault because we've made a decision. Everyone does. We decide to go our own way. We decide we're going to try and find joy somewhere else. We decide we don't believe his promises. We're not a believer, at least in those moments. And so we're separated from him. But the good news is this, that he was born to take away that disease. That he who knew no sin became sin, took on your disease so that you could become his righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And what we see throughout the scripture is that joy and, and gospel are connected with each other. Joy and salvation are connected continually. It's like a theme through Luke. Oftentimes people will place their faith in Jesus at our church and then we'll get a prayer request about it. And we have a team of people that pray. And if you trust Christ today, we'll be praying for you. And so a lot of times I'll send the, that team the same verses. Luke chapter 15, verse 7 says this. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10 tells another story, and then he does verse 10, very similar verse. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God for one sinner who repents. Joy and salvation connected. Joy and salvation connected. What does that mean? That means this, that the biblical joy is more than happiness in a moment. Biblical joy is a permanent pleasure that's based on our position in Christ. It's a permanent pleasure that's based on our position in Christ. And because it's based on our position in Christ, and that never changes, regardless of circumstances, we can always have this pleasure. That's why it's a permanent pleasure. That's why you see throughout Scripture, rejoice in your trials, because you're rejoicing in anything to do with your circumstances. It's a joy you can experience beyond circumstances that transcends whatever's happening. It's why you, you see people that says, while suffering, I'm rejoicing, rejoicing always. And so you see, I had a verse that was sent to me by some family friends in a Christmas card. Amazing verse. Great Christmas verse. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Peter says this to some believers. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Inexpressible. Think about that word. That means there's no words to describe the joy that you're feeling. That's a permanent pleasure that you can't even put into words. You have to experience it to know it. Let me tell you what's really interesting about this verse. Is who Peter's writing to in the book of 1 Peter. He's writing to persecuted Christians. Not persecuted like they're losing a couple rights, persecuted like they're being killed. Nero was in charge at the time, and Nero would say all kinds of things that weren't true about Christians. I mean, Christians not, not very likable. They'd say, he said things like, Christians are cannibals because they take the Lord's Supper, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And so he said, well, they're cannibals, they're eating people. He'd say they're incestuous because they say things like, I love you, brother. It's incest, see that? See what's happening? People started to believe that. He would feed Christians to animals in the stadiums for the general populace as entertainment. That was the situation Christians were in. Christians would be hung up on stakes, crucified or hung on the stakes at the peak of the stake, and burned alive to light the games for his entertainment. And to those people, he says, you have an inexpressible joy. That's a joy that transcends circumstances. That's a joy that transcends Busyness of the holidays, loneliness, depression, financial stress. It's a different kind of joy. But it's also the kind of joy that it's not, uh, don't just find it in your successes. Don't just find it in those high times when the family's gathered around and all those things are happening. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 10. There's a group of disciples he sends out, 72 of them. They go out, they do some amazing stuff. So they cast out demons, they heal diseases. They come back and says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says, listen, I've seen Satan fall from heaven. I've given you more authority than what you've used so far. Then he says this in verse 20. 
Do not rejoice. Don't let your joy be found in that the Spirit submit to you, your success, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, your position in Christ. It's a permanent pleasure because it's based on your position in Christ, not on your circumstances. That's the kind of joy we're talking about. That's the great joy, the good news, gospel, salvation of great joy that we see in verse 10. And so I feel almost silly asking you this question. It's so obvious. Do you have this joy? Is this the kind of joy that you experience? If not, why not? What's stopping you? Is it circumstances? Then maybe you're trying to get your joy from the creation rather than the creator, from the provision rather than the provider. Is it your pride? Well, maybe you need to humble yourself before God. See, if God is the source of joy, we've got to ask ourselves this question. We have to ask ourselves this question every week, whatever passage we look at. How do I experience that? How do I do that? How does this work in my life? Well, we've got to go to the source. If God is the source of joy, and we want to experience this kind of joy, then we have to go to the source, which is what we see happen next in our passage here with these shepherds. Look what happens. So they get this good news of great joy, and the the good news is told to them. And then verse 12, it says this, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then verse 13, the party really breaks out, not just one angel, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host. The words that are used there, uh, there's no number for this. In fact, many people believe this is beyond human comprehension of how many angels there may have been. Now think about that. These angels have been praising Jesus for all of eternity. Jesus comes to earth. And it's like the party breaks out on earth for a moment. That's something. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly the great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God. And here's what they were singing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So we leave that off the cards, don't we? Goodwill to men. But not everyone will get this peace. It's on whom his favor rests. So who's that? It's the people who do what the shepherds did. And go to the source. Look at the next verse. When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, they said, that was cool. Just kidding. <laughs> but it would have been, wouldn't it? Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. In other words, we want to experience this ourselves. Now, think about what they had. They heard the best news that anyone could ever hear. Great joy is for Everybody. And it's coming in the form of a Savior, a much-anticipated Savior they've been waiting hundreds of years to, to meet. He's here. And then the, the worship, angels from heaven. They've been worshiping for all of eternity. They've got this thing down, and they show up on earth. The glory of God shines around them, and they say, that's not enough. We need to see for ourselves. What would you do? Try and imagine being the shepherds. Put ourselves in the passage. Would you do that? A lot of us would like to think we do, but do we? How many times do we go to church and you hear some song you like, you know, the second one, not the third one, you hear the song that you like and you like the lyric, but not the beat, right? And we don't really care, to be honest with you, whether you like the beat and the lyric and all that stuff. But you say, that was great, wasn't it? And you leave? Are you changed? Or do you just like a song? Or you leave a good, good message, pastor, it was good, I was encouraged by that, but does it change anything about the way that you live? It's so easy just to come and hear information and come have an entertaining experience, come have a worship experience that doesn't change you. And they weren't content with that. They just had an encounter with the glory of God. They just heard the best news ever. That wasn't enough. They had to go see it themselves. See, so many times we're content with just getting information dumped on us. 
Sometimes that's how we do evangelism. Many of you, that's probably how you do evangelism. The three spiritual laws, the five keys, this road, all those things. You tell people the facts, which goes something like this. You're a sinner. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. Either you believe in him or you don't. If you believe, you're in. If you don't, you burn. What are you going to do? Or some version of that. And we wonder why people don't respond. Maybe they don't just want the information of the gospel. Maybe they want the God of the gospel. Maybe what we need to be presenting to them is God. His transforming work in our lives as we come to Him, as we come to them with what He's done for us. But have you? Have you experienced Him? Or do you just know information? See, it's one of the reasons why at, a church, at our church that one of our core values is encountering the living God. It shapes what we do here. It's why we, when we come to the Scriptures, I don't want you just to know more verses. I want you to encounter the living God so that you'll be changed. When we sing songs, we don't just sing songs because you're supposed to sing at church. And like that, we know some people don't sing ever. And so... The point of singing the songs is not that you'll like the beat. It's not that you'll, it's the right volume for you. We don't care, okay? What we want you to do is encounter the God that we're singing about. And so that you'll encounter Him. And we make groups. We have these groups at our church, e-groups. Encounter, embrace, engage groups. All of them, we want you to encounter the living God through relationships. It's not just so that you take the next step at our church. It's not just so you have some friends. It's not just so you know some people. It's through those relationships, because that's how we see God working in the Scripture, that you'd encounter Him. Because when you encounter the glory of God, you should never be the same. We don't want you just to have relationships with people, sing some songs, and hear some information. If so, you're missing it. I want you to encounter the living God. And that's what these guys wanted. They wanted the God of the gospel, not just the news. And so look what they did. They hurried off. Verse 16. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, just like God said. He keeps his word. And when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And so they had to talk about it then. It wasn't because they took a class. It wasn't because they were told this is what you do if you have this experience. They had to talk about it. It's the best thing that's ever happened to them. They experienced it themselves. What about you? When I read this, it reminds me of an experience that my family and I had about four years ago. We were trying to help our kids experience the Christmas story. And I just remember the facts. And there was a church down in Apex, um, Salem Baptist Church, that was doing a thing called uh, Journey to Bethlehem. I think they still do it. I don't know if you've been there. Hopefully some of you have been there. If you haven't, go check it out. It's a, it's a great experience. And we got down there. There were just herds of people, like tons of people that were lined up to go into this thing. And we waited. We were getting hot and getting fussy. At the time, we had three kids, a brand-new baby, a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and we got grouped in with a bunch of other people, and they gave us some shekels, and so they walk you through Jerusalem, and I don't remember if we ever spent the shekels. I'm not sure. I might still have some shekels. I'll give you those with the coupons out front. Um, but we went to Jerusalem and saw like Herod, saw some wise men, did a few different things, and, and I remember that, and then you stopped worrying about like whether you were hot and the kids were cranky. It was You were so into the story because you were experiencing the story. And the climax of it was they brought you into their auditorium, and you come in with your group, and auditoriums there, and there were enough people there that my wife and I didn't get to sit by each other. I remember I was sitting on one pew, and she was sitting on another pew. I had our two-year-old, and she had our uh, baby and a four-year-old. And I looked up on stage, and there was Mary and Joseph and a little baby. And this guy came out, dressed up like a guy that would live that time. He said his name was John from Jerusalem. John starts to tell us the gospel. I'll tell you what I was honestly thinking as I sat there. I looked up, and I thought, I know Joseph. He used to go to our church. He got married, now they have a baby. Is that a boy or a girl baby? I can't remember what they have. And like, I'm sitting there thinking that. And I know the characters up on the stage, Joseph and Mary and the little baby. But then all of a sudden, there was another character on stage. 
a little four-year-old girl who was wearing a pink coat. My daughter. And I'm looking, and I'm sitting there, I've got the two-year-old, and I look over at my wife like, this is your fault. And she looks over at me like, you better do something about this. And so John's up there, he's just spouting off the gospel. Like he's going, and I decide I'm going to kind of go up around the stage. I put the two-year-old down, hopefully she doesn't go anywhere. And so I slide up on the stage, and I grab Ella, she was four at the time, and I bring her down the steps. As I bring her down the steps, I said, what were you thinking going up on stage? She says, I wanted to see Jesus. I love him. We're not in trouble. Come over here. (laughs) What about you? Is it enough for you to, whether it's Christmas Eve service or this service, go to church, hear a story. This is the one you expect to hear, right? Baby born in a manger, whether there's shepherds or wise men or some version of that. It's a good story. And you leave. And it doesn't change anything. And one more contrast I want to show you in this passage. Luke's going out of his way to show us contrast here. And so the shepherds told these people what they saw. Verse 18 says, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But what did they do? Nothing. Great story. Great message, Pastor. Do you like that song? But, contrast, it's a contrastive word. But Mary, in contrast to the crowd who heard the story, but didn't go see the son. It didn't change anything about their life. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. We don't know what Mary thought. We can make some assumptions, and I'll make an assumption or two here. Luke doesn't tell us exactly what her thoughts were, just that she was pondering, she was contemplating, she was reflecting on these things. Certainly she must have thought this, I would think. What does this mean for my son? I know that I've never been with a man. There's this baby here and the angel came and said these things and now these shepherds show up and the shepherds say they saw an angel and this happened. And What does it mean for him who she would one day with her own eyes watch die on a cross and then would witness with her own eyes him resurrected? certainly she probably asked herself the question, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for our marriage? What does this mean for all these people that were being talked about? Who are all people? What does this mean for us? And so today you could leave here. And a worship experience, we sang some songs, you heard some information, and you could think it's a great story. Would you at least ask the questions like Mary? Like even if you don't experience it for yourself, what, what does it mean for me? What does this mean for me that this story is told? What does this mean for us? What does this mean for all people? Some of you, it means you don't have this joy and you need to receive this joy. Because God's offering it to you. You don't earn it. You don't go out and get it by some experience. He's giving you a gift. You have to receive the gift. Here's what will stop many people from receiving the gift. Pride. I've seen people die and go to hell because of this. No, I can't. I can't trust Christ at the end of my life. I'll be a hypocrite. Wouldn't it be better to humble yourself now than spend eternity in hell? They say no. I hope that's not you. But then, what about, I won't have any fun. I'm talking, I'm offering you the God of joy. It's real joy. This is the thing that's stopping you from experiencing the real satisfaction you're longing to experience. And so you need to humble yourself before God. Acknowledge your sin, that you need to be rescued from your sin. You need a savior. Some of you are believers in Jesus Christ. And so what does this mean for you? Well, you might agree with the points I've made today. You may agree, God is the source of joy. 
But be honest. Has he been your source of joy? Because it's easy to get distracted and all of a sudden it's something else. It's the gift that we're going to get. It's the experience we're going to have with our family. It's the meal that we're going to eat. It's the promotion we hope. If, this, if these circumstances would just be fixed in my life, if my marriage was just better, if I could just have a child, if I could just get a different job, if I could finally move to the place I wanted to live, if I could... You think the source is the creation, not the creator. That means you need to repent. Seem sorry and turn back to him. He takes you back. It's probably a third category of people that are listening to these words this morning. And that's people who believe that God is the source of joy, have turned to Jesus Christ, trusted him as Savior, but then are you continually experiencing joy? And the reason why you're probably not is because you think that you are the sustainer of joy. Let me tell you something else. God's not only the source of joy, he's the sustainer of your joy. Joy is actually a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, you can read that on your own. The way you experience the fruit of the Spirit is the same way you came to faith. You trusted Christ, you humbled yourself and relied on Him. It's faith. You begin by faith, you continue by faith. That's how you walk in the Spirit. Some of you need that joy today. Restore the joy of your salvation. You can have it today. Let's pray. I'll bow our heads and bow our hearts before the Lord and You just talk to the Lord as you feel you need to right now in these moments. Some of you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, then what you need to do is acknowledge your sin that has separated you from God. And He wants to reconnect with you. He wants you to be reconciled to Him. And so ask Jesus to be your Savior. Ask Him to be your Lord. He wants relationship with you, and He will take on your sin, that disease that's killing you. He will take it. And you can pray a prayer something like this, Father... Even right now, in your heart, you just pray this to God. Father, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And right now, I want to ask Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And if you did that, I'd tell you what Luke 15 says, that all of heaven rejoices. The joy that comes in heaven because you turned to Jesus. Luke chapter 15, verses 7 and 10. And just ask you, if you would, to fill out in your connection card before you leave that you trusted Christ. I want to pray for you. we got people at our church that want to pray for you about that. And some of you are believers in Jesus and you need to go to the Lord and just talk to him about how you've made something else the source of your joy and repent and turn to him. And others of you are the group that I talked about that you've been trying to sustain your own joy. And I just want to, as you pray, you talk to the Lord right now, speak some truth over you and tell you this encouraging thing about walking in the spirit. It's moment by moment. That's good news and it's bad news. It's bad news because it means you could be walking in the Spirit one moment and the next moment you're not. But it's also good news, meaning that you walk out of the Spirit for a moment and you can be right back in step. You don't have to go any through any purgatory, any moments of feeling guilty, any long period of time. You just turn back to the Lord. You repent, you ask for forgiveness and say, not my will, your will. Sorry for trying to take the controls. That's what we try to do oftentimes. As time goes by, we try to control our own lives instead of letting Him be Lord of our life. And so we just turn back to Him right now. Father, we do that. We turn to you right now. We just ask that you would forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our unrighteousness, cleanse us, make us new, have us all experience your joy and experience your joy in such a way that we would bring God to other people, that we'd bring you to those that we come into contact with, not information about you, not just our church has good music or we're going to hear this information, but we'd bring you to them through us. Help us to experience you. Help us to go to the source. Help us to see you in your word, to connect with you through song, to know you through relationships. Father God, will you reveal yourself? Even just give us a glimpse of your glory this morning. In this moment, you can speak to our hearts personally. I pray you would. There are some that need to hear that you love them. I pray you tell them. There's some that need to hear 
how you take them back. I pray they'd hear your grace and your forgiveness. I pray you'd renew that you would do what only you do and change our hearts right now. I pray these things in Jesus' name.